what's going on here, you know, what is the relationship here? Welcome back to Clarity in Conversations. But of course, it's my interpretation, you know, I, I also, I'm colored in my view. Miscommunication in offices around the world leads to delayed projects, frustrated colleagues, and missed sales. This can be avoided. There's fascinating research that gives insight into how to have creative dialogues and clear conversations in the office and at home. Full of practical tips, insightful research, and inspiring guests, this is Clarity in Conversations, a podcast by Frank Garten. And welcome back to another episode of Clarity in Conversations, where we're approaching the end of season one. Now, in the last episode, we dealt with change, which brings a lot of challenges to all managers involved. Listening to others in times of change is undoubtedly the most important thing that any manager can do. But not only for the managers. The employees who get confronted with the change experience a lot of uncertainty about the future. It's a bit unsettling for people when there's a lot of change in the environment it is very unsettling for people because we're wired to uh to lean towards certainty rather than uncertainty so it was an episode full of practical tips about how to manage change something you'd better do well as otherwise then a lot of times we're going to lose a lot of really good employees now the last two editions of clarity and conversations for this season are a bit unusual So far you've heard Els de Meijer and myself deal with an external guest. But today the roles get reversed. Next time Els will interview me and give me a podium in the podcast to talk a bit about my favorite subject really, providing clarity. But today it's Els's turn to tell us all about her view on communication. And that's not just some light chat. Els successfully defended her PhD recently at the University of Eindhoven and Antwerp. And it was a pleasure to witness that important moment. Now today I have the chance of asking Els a lot of questions about her research and about her work at Fontys University of Applied Science in Eindhoven. Now I've decided not to make any cuts or edits in the interview as it would lose the dynamics a bit. So enjoy the full interview I recorded recently with Els de Meijer. Yeah, Els, um, the roles are reversed this time. Normally in the podcast, I have a guest and we talk for a long time with them. And then at the end, you come with a shorter reflection on the interview. This time Mm -hmm. you're the star of the show and there's no reflection (laughs) by somebody else. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) New role for you. Um, I know it is. (laughs) Yeah, and and that was anyway the plan. Um, But our plan got intensified by the fact that you graduated on March 12th at Fontys University and the University of Antwerp on a PhD with with a very long title, Open Innovation Dynamics, it says, and then Languaging in Industry Academia Collaborations. Now that... That's food for thought. Um, what we're not going to do in the podcast, of course, is go into all the details of the PhD for that half an hour is too short. But can you tell us just in a few sentences what your research was about? Sure, I can. Uh, well, first of all, just a, like a tiny detail. I had a bit of a weird uh, trajectory in my PhD because um, although, so I, I did my research on collaborations, but my entire PG itself was a collaboration. And um, I, it was a collaboration between Fontes uh, Univer- uh, University of Applied Science, but also the TU Eindhoven and uh, the University of Antwerp. So right. uh, yeah. that's where the whole, we had a, an entire team. Uh, the four of us made up an entire team and me as the, as the PhD student. 
Um, and um, if I if I really briefly have to explain something about my PhD, and then I could indeed base it uh, on the title, I think would be a good starting point. Um, so open innovation is a, a kind of generic uh, or, or a name, a term for all kind of ways of where organizations try to work together in some kind of way to come to innovation. So they open up their organizational boundaries um, to in some kind of way exchange knowledge or create knowledge together that could lead to uh, an innovation that can be marketed afterwards. Right, yeah. Right. Um, of course, the open aspect of it is, is something that is, um, that's for my entire PhD is actually about the openness. Um, and, and it's like in open innovation literature, there's a lot uh, described about how that works, um, especially very structural. So what kind of contracts are there? Um, how, what kind of relationships do people have? Right. Um, yeah. What kind of monetary rewards are involved? What are the motives of people to work uh, to work together, or the motives of of companies to work together as well? Yeah. Um, and what I did was actually somewhere somewhat different. Different. I I uh, wanted to have a look to see what actually happened if those people started working together. So not necessarily their motives, or, or although I I did look into that as well, but actually how they did their open innovation? How did they organize their open innovation? Right, and now, that's where the dynamics comes in, right? That, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and my, my background is, I have a background in linguistics, and I believe that, and that's what I show in, in the PhD as well, that any kind of organization that you do, especially if you deal with, with knowledge being created, um, the organization of knowledge and of working together is done through language. And, um, that's where the languaging comes from. It language it's 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 almost like a non-existent verb. You know, it's kind of a weird verb, and I had to translate it for my uh, presentation in Dutch as well, which was yeah, terrible I'm... because uh, you know what <laughs> kind of yeah I know, and and like people go, what do you mean by that? And there's always standard like your a red <laughs> a red line underneath it in word because it doesn't really exist. You know, yeah, exactly. but it's a term that it's a term they came up with to denote that um, language work, that like collaboration and, and uh, interaction in general requires a lot of work. And a work is performed through language and it's the, the way you um, communicate with each other uh, works on several levels. You try to make sense of what people say around you. Um, people around you do the same thing and you try to see what is the message. You also try to see what kind of relationship you're in. Um, you try to find uh, like the exact meaning of, of or, or a right meaning of, of, what, of the reality um, by putting in a lot of language work, by languaging. Right. So in that way, so by, by really the labor of interpreting, uh, uttering, uh, expressing yourself, etc. Um, you try to to make sense and to give to give meaning uh, to the to the world around you, yeah. um, and for that you use like your experiences, your history, uh, the rules that you have um, in a certain setting. You know, for example, I know that if I would be in a classroom, I would be speaking different with different rules, um, and you use all that information to kind of 
come to a conclusion to say, right, I think this is what is happening. And of course, that is linguistic work, whether it's written or orally, it doesn't matter. Is it fair else to say that that language is your your tool, your instrument, just like other researchers use an x-ray machine to study molecules? <laughs> For you, language is the tool that, that brings you to the core of what you're researching? Um, so for me as a researcher, you mean, or for people to work together, you mean? No, really for you as a researcher. Yeah. Yeah. Also, so actually both, you know, so first of all, there's no, I, I believe there's no other way that people can collaborate, uh, especially uh, if you're not in hands-on work, you know, of course, healthcare, you, you provide services, uh, you know, if you're an artist, you make something, uh, but if you're in knowledge work, language is your tool. For mm. me as a researcher, it was my tool as well. So it was my, um, it was actually the, the glasses that I looked through, uh, the, the, the glasses I put on to look at reality. Yeah. Um, this so is what I did, yeah, so go on. Go on, go on. Yeah, so what, what I did actually was I looked especially at what people said and how they said it. Right, okay, yeah. Yeah, so in that way, it is my tool. So that, that was my reality, the things they said, and then I tried to embed that in, of course, other things I could observe, you know, other uh, things I knew. And, of course, for me, I did the same thing as everyone else, that I tried to make sense of what happened in those cases that I, uh, that I studied. Yeah, and that, that indeed was my, my question that I wanted to ask, which is, I mean, language we associate usually with, do you speak Dutch or German or, mm. or American? But mm-hmm. what, what we're talking here is, is much more than that, right? It's much more than the, the let's say, the name of the language, American mm. or Chinese. It's, it's really about the structure of what somebody is saying, the tone probably in which the person is saying it, all these kind of things, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's very right. That, that's very true. And that's, hence that explains also why I didn't say language in industry academia collaboration because if we talk about language everyone presumes oh, i'd be english or dutch or chinese or something like that that's why i choose the term languaging because it doesn't matter what language you speak it's, it's how you use your language and what you do with it yeah. um and and intentionally and unintentionally of course you know so there's so many layers that are built up and so many dynamics that happen at the same time when you speak um, one is just to, to get your information across, but the other thing is that, of course, you're trying to establish your identity in the meantime, you're trying to protect the other one's identity, and sometimes you're trying to um, frame the, the things, that the setting in a certain way that everyone else would think it is like that. So, for example, a meeting you're trying to frame as a collaborative um happening at that moment while maybe it may not be you know but you try to with language you can push reality in a certain direction for yourself and for others yeah and that's what you did you you Mm -hmm. you studied the language that was used in several real life cases where uh, it was academia and and let's say commercial companies who interact who work together who innovate Mm -hmm. together and how can i see that you were kind of a fly on the wall with a tape (laughs) recorder to to record what people were saying that's basically it indeed yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah, so that yeah. was kind of, indeed, that's what I did. I, I tried to um, sit in uh, or try to get access to as many meetings as possible on, on several levels, managerial levels. And um, yeah, I, I, I positioned myself in a, in, a, in a place in the meeting room that wasn't 
uh, that I wasn't noticed very much. Of course, people knew um, that I was there because, you know, um, I had to ask permission, of course, to, to record. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then indeed what I did was like I, I recorded, audio recorded everything that was being said then. I transcribed it afterwards, analyzed it, uh, interviewed people um, and observed, of course, as well. You know, if, if you're not there, if you would only have used um, the audio, then it's like kind of working with a blindfold on, you know, so you have to, of right. course, try to see what happens as well, you know. Okay, so so you 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 analyzed the language, but then on top of that, you interviewed people to to kind of put that in in um, in context and yeah. find out what what did they really mean with that and etc. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because of course, I and that's the thing with my methodology. It's a very qualitative way of doing research. It's actually um, it's very similar to what consultants probably do in a in a way as well because. Yeah you go in and you try to find the problem or find the issues that they're dealing with. But of course, it's my interpretation. You know, I, I also, I'm colored in my view. I see the things because of my history and my reality and my experiences. So of course I had to triangulate this with what I could find in literature on the one hand, but also with um, with the interviews, you know. So if, if their opinion was completely different than what I thought, then I, sh- I had to go back to my data to see if, if there wasn't another explanation for it. Yeah, yeah. Now, now we all know out of practice in companies that we have meetings all day and some mm. of these meetings are spot on. I mean, we, we, we have to exchange some information. We do, we do it effectively. We do it efficiently and we walk out again with a smile on our face, take a coffee and, and move on. But the majority of meetings are meetings where people say afterwards that could have been done much better that was inefficient that was ineffective yeah. um, not uh-huh. everybody talked so i i indeed i, I would say the majority indeed yeah <laughs> that, that's the majority how does yeah. that show in the language so because that's your particular focus so how do you detect whether that meeting is going well or not simply by by looking at the language that's a very good question because i I don't know if I can come up with one like set of guidelines or rules or mm-hmm. uh, characteristics that I could say um, makes up for a bad or a good meeting. Um, because I had meetings where I observed it that I thought were extremely painful to watch, you know, but of course I was an outsider. That when I asked afterwards, they said, no, it went fine, you know. So there's, there's two things that, I, that, that pop up in my head now is um, the way in which people are direct or indirect. So in one particular case I studied, there was a very high level of directness. So people would um, comment like these, so meetings are very funny. Meetings are not just people sitting around the table. We think that is the case, but in a lot of cases, meetings are presentations and Q and A. So someone does an agenda and someone comes to present and then the other one can ask questions and then you can basically shoot a presenter and you can try to, <laughs> you know, to, to find holes in, in the story or to find gaps in the story. Um, what, I, what I saw was that like there, there would be a, a big imbalance sometimes between speaker rights. So for example, when there's two parties, an academic or an, an, an industrial party, what I saw was that Academics are mostly in the uh, kind of underdog position. 
Okay. And they would, um, there would be an imbalance in that they have a lot more time to speak because they're doing the presentations, but they're actually in a more vulnerable position because the other ones, mostly the, the, the managers, they can just pick on it and shoot holes into it. All right. Yeah. Um, when I asked afterwards, those people presenting, they, say, they often said, listen, we don't, you know, we, we have to try to deliver what they want. We don't feel like we can um, express our own agenda. Um, it's kind of difficult because we don't know what they want. So what you see there then is that although like in, in the cases of a collaboration, which kind of implicitly uh, presumes a bit of an equal or a level playing field, that wasn't the case at all. Mm. So when there's an, an, a, a playing field where there's a clear uh, dominance of one party, um, you can see that in the amount of time someone speaks, which we, you would think, oh, that's the powerful party. But actually, reversely, it, it depends on what activity they, they perform. Well, so yeah, for example, yeah. a Q&A and presentation, although the academic partner is the one speaking the most, is the one actually who is in a bit of the down or one down position because he's the one being questioned the whole time. Yeah. And um, it's, it's probably set at the outset already because if the scientists say, um, we don't know what they want to hear, implicitly yeah. you say already there's a power imbalance, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very well observed indeed. That's, that's those words that you go, right, what's going on here? You know, what is the relationship here? Okay, and that's um, an example really of where you, where, where you got to the heart of what, what collaboration or communication is, is, is that you analyzed really where do I see in a conversation that there's inequality or that people mm -hmm. don't trust each other or, the, or these kind of things. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly. And, and where I, like, but like I said before, it, uh, where I sometimes initially or intuitively thought, okay, you know, um, this is how, it, how the balance is or how the dynamics works or that's what I would presume, you know, um, how things work, like what I said with speaker rights and dominance. When I actually had a closer look, it was the other way around. The same with uh, the directness, which is another example. I would think I was like sometimes um, I was sitting there with my toes curled up in my shoes because people were so direct to each other saying they didn't like the presentation, they didn't like it was useless, or they were asking, so what use is this to us? And then afterwards, like I, I expected people to go, yeah, this was really bad, you know? And then they said, yeah, no, we were happy. At least the good, bad and the ugly was out in the open, <laughs> which was a surprise for me, you know? Yeah. So I don't think you can... So the reason why actually I went into those uh, companies or why I, why I was able to do my research was though because they said they didn't trust each other. And because they said there was stuff that... Um, they couldn't really get the finger out. They couldn't, they really didn't know what was really going on. And could I, it would be nice if I shed my light on that and, and help them see what was really happening. Um, All right. That's an important given. So what you're saying is I didn't just randomly study um, conversations. I really looked at situations where people said we need some help because somehow we have the feeling there's no trust or things are not running well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the observation yeah. is actually people are quite happy. Well, so the two examples I gave were, were mixed, you know, in the one uh, case they were happy about, although I thought like this was the cause for 
for the issues they, they experienced uh, in the other, um, so that was an example where they things were actually okay. Um, but no, in general, they weren't actually happy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it like that. Um, I think there was a lot of unhappiness, especially on the, um, well, on both sides actually. But I, I, I think especially on on the side of the, of the academics not feeling like they've been taken seriously. Or on the other hand, um, the industrial party saying, right, we don't even know if this is a knowledge we can use. And we're not even sure if the people who are in this room with us supposedly, uh, you know, hired or in this collaboration with us to deliver us knowledge. We don't actually know if they're even able to give us the knowledge. And then, um, then so that was underlying. To, yeah, I can imagine that. Because that, then we come to something that you observe quite often in, in companies also, is that, mm -hmm. is that we have these rituals, the meetings, and when you, when you ask people, was it a good meeting, they would generally say, yeah, it was very useful, good, we exchanged information, this is important. And if you then drill down deeper, they say, this was useless. This was yeah. such a waste of time. So there's a lot of pretending, apparently, about our effectiveness. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you describe it in such a, a a good way because indeed the meetings are rituals, right? They're they're place which we know what to expect. We know there's a chairman or a chairwoman. We know and um, there's an opening, there's an ending. We know there's a Q and A. You know, we know there's an agenda to stick to. So, so the genre of a meeting it is it is indeed a ritual. It's the way we organize our work, uh, indeed, um, and indeed like. Um, the trust, I think, so, or the the lack of trust was definitely a big issue. Yeah, mm, yeah, definitely okay. was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think that kind of got confused as well because people have the idea that they can trust each other. So especially in in knowledge sectors, right? And when people work together to create knowledge together, people think they can trust each other when they know that the other one is able to do it. And when, you know, they think, right, he or she or the company or the organization is going to perform according to what I expect and what we agreed on. Mm -hmm. Now, first of all, they don't, um, what I have often seen is that they don't express their expectations that well. Um, there's a couple of reasons for it. First of all, because in high tech industry, it's sometimes not possible because, you know, you simply don't know um, if, if it's really technical possible to, to come to an innovation. But secondly, it's also kind of painful to really explicitly express your expectations because what if the other one can't meet those expectations? Mm, and then you yeah. put them in a position that is, you know, kind of violating their face or their identity. Um, so first of all, there's, there's very, sometimes expectation management is, is not there. But secondly, what I going back to the trust there, um, we presume that um, trust is there when, like, like I said, when you know that the other one can do it. But actually, those meetings where people were able to openly say, "Well, I have, I don't know. I'm thinking out loud. I have no idea how we can progress from here. We should look into this together." Those meetings were experienced in a lot better way or they had people were much happier about those meetings and about the collaboration in general when people right. were honest about their lack of knowledge so that's completely counterintuitive of course 
Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, because mm. but, but then the word innovation comes up, right? What what is innovation? Mm. And that and you're you're basically saying the best innovation meetings are those where people go in with a blank mind. Let's find out. Rather yeah. than Yeah. And and of course there's a tension there because people don't get hired or people don't come together because they think, you know what, I think I like you. Well, sometimes I do. Of course, there's always an element where they know each other and uh they, they there's a bit of goodwill, of course. Um, but people come together because they think, you know what, uh, we could be complementary. I have something that you don't have and you have something that I don't have. And together we can make something work and we can achieve a better result. Hmm. Um, but there is the element there that you don't have to, it's not just what you have in your team, you know, it's not like what you have and you bring that to the table and, you know, you kind of mix it up and magically you come to, into an, uh, to an innovation surely there is there's some of that knowledge that you need but i i think that innovation is rather a process and a verb than it is like an end product and that was one of my uh, critiques as well to a lot of the literature that they see innovation as a product as an end product and it's actually a process of working together thinking along building up and indeed saying sometimes uh, i don't know and going three steps forward and two steps backwards exactly i like that yeah so 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 Mm. Innovation is more about the culture you create together rather than the factual I exchange. So, yeah. Also. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I believe um, so. Also, if, if we make a switch now to, uh, I mean, you, you've researched a lot of these conversations, you drew conclusions from it. Um, mm-hmm. is it. Is it possible to summarize, or maybe you can give an example, what is a key insight that you, that you could draw from some of these meetings? What was really mm-hmm. an eye-opener for you where you said, wow, now that, now I understand more about how these people collaborate. Yeah. Um, I'm not a good one for lists with insights, I think. <laughs> but <laughs> um, because I always like this, this thousand and one things that pop up in my head. Of and, course, yeah. Um, but um, so I think one of the main things I discovered, I think, or what I think is, is very important and I need it all, is that although we say meetings are to convey information and to to build uh, onto new knowledge what actually happens a lot is um, identity work Mm. people want to be seen in a certain way um, as uh, professionals but also personally and i think that what you could see is that people really try to yeah, to establish themselves in a in a certain in, in a certain way in the conversation uh, while they work, and if you don't have an eye for that, you could or you you know you kind of forget about that. I think what you you could easily um, just carry on and not get anywhere. But as soon as you start to be aware as a manager, and sometimes you need consultants for that. But as soon as you start to be aware of that that is actually happening on multi multiple layers that people try to build an, an, an identity for themselves. Um, then you kind of, you can see where things come from where certain utterance come from. You can postpone your judgment, something we talked about earlier as well, I think already yeah. in previous podcasts. Yeah. Um, and then you can also kind of adapt your, or ad- uh, yeah, adapt your, your response to that as well. And of course, in the end, you, you know, you, you probably do that for two reasons to either get what you want or to maintain the relationship that you, um, 
that you have or that you want to have. Um, so the identity work is very important there. It's a fascinating one because it, 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 it's almost like you say we come together in a meeting because we want to collaborate. But mm -hmm. as soon as we are there, we often forget that and we start to preserve our identity. Um, <laughs> yeah, and build our identity as well. Like right. there's a lot of um, like really identity building going on as well because that's it, that is done in relationship with others as well, of course. Yeah. You cannot do it on your own you know you're always in a you're always someone in a relationship to somewhere else so someone else so the question is who do i want to be in this setting and how do i want to come across and um it's not always like it sounds kind of negative but it's not you know it's something we naturally naturally do we want to be seen as competent or as knowledgeable or as empathic or something like that and once you start to get like um a bit of insight on um what it is that people want to be seen like then you can also um, you can also kind of take their main message with a with a pinch of salt because then you think right is that really what they're saying or is that part of who they want to be like now exactly yeah can you translate this into one concrete tip i mean it, yeah managers are in meetings all can. day yeah <laughs> i'm not a i'm not a good one for lists but i can definitely give one tip and that is really try to sit back and like center yourself in your chair and just listen to what is being said and how it's being said and for that you need awareness you need to start realizing that language is not just a tool but it's a way to to create identity it's 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 the only way we have to to kind of be with each other and interact with each other or one of the only ways in, definitely in a business setting and that is create the awareness or, or try to train yourself to be aware of how things are being said. Right. And, and I think for one, like, and I'm, I'm very um, passionate about this as well. I really think we should train our managers and not just our managers that are in the field already, but also our future managers, like engineers and people that are gonna, like our students, you know, we should train them in becoming aware of what is being said and how it's being said and for what reason rather than just saying right you need to be the good chairman and you need to you know have the tricks and and go through the motions no like right i really think that's that's what we should train them on yeah i like that step because you make it very personal here you're you're saying it's not just interactional it's not the language that that is the medium through which we exchange information and that's it it's mm. not about efficiency there's something no, no. very personal in it yeah, yeah. definitely definitely yeah. yeah definitely for sure and and we can't you know it's like with a cake once that's that's made you can't take out the flour and the eggs and the milk and all anymore it's you know in the end in your interaction it's all mingled up and tangled up and it's very hard to kind of see what is what and why things are said but just the awareness of the fact that there are those layers in there and that all those ingredients in there could be a big step, I think, to um, to see things for what they are, to kind of avoid misunderstandings and to see even misunderstandings for what they are and appreciate them even in a certain way. Yeah. I'm going to make a switch in our talk uh, because this mm -hmm. is a quite natural point. We're, we're speaking about awareness of what's happening in the conversation. And that's mm -hmm. something that, that often came up in the podcast that we've, uh, that we've done yeah, together sure. for the last 10 times, let's say. We, yeah. We, oh, is it 10 times already? Yeah, it's 10 times by now. 11 even. And, and 
if you, if you look back on all these interviews, this is a theme that came up often. Um, a, mm -hmm. a lot of speakers in different contexts have said it's so important to step out of a conversation and analyze what's happening here rather than just ponder on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah true. If, yeah, you look true back on the, if you look back on the series else, which, which of the podcasts stands out for you i i think not not in terms of how good was it but really if you look at your research what, what was the most fascinating most interesting topic for you that came by oh now you're asking me for a list again <laughs> yeah. um yeah that's a good question um so i think there was like in almost every podcast there was something that kind of sprung to mind and of course that that was the whole setup of our conversation after the podcast as well those things that kind of struck me because i had seen them before in my own research or because they personally touched me or something like that um so i personally really so the the, the podcast that came closest to my vision on, on interaction and communication was the um the socratic uh, dialogues uh, one ah yeah socratic um, dialogues with eric boers yeah yeah because that was like his view on communication was very similar to mine you know it was very uh, he he definitely recognized all the layers uh, that we have in communication Mm -hmm. um the one that because you know of course i'm on the one hand i'm i'm uh, i'm a researcher on the other hand i'm, I'm also a teacher in communication and i think right. that the power of being brief um that one that uh, we recorded with or, or you recorded with uh, joe mccormack i thought was very useful as well yeah being brief like, and concise absolutely. yeah yeah yeah, because and I know like I'm I'm against rules and like this is how you do it, you know, constantly in every setting. But for me that was like um it was such a basic it was such basic instructions I think that I could definitely use with my students to uh, free up some space um for other things, you know, yeah. like if if you're able to manage that to you know to master the briefness in your presentations and in the way you convey your message, I think um, it's almost like you you get a bit of pollution and noise out of of your your setting. Then, so I really like that as well. And of course, those all like we spoke a lot of times about listening skills, and what I liked there was um, that they were not just about oh you know you give the feedback and you you know you go you nod and you do active listening and you you know, those motions that I spoke about before, but that they really, um, a lot of them, a lot of the speakers that uh, you had in your podcast, like you said yourself, were definitely on the awareness aspect of, you know, taking a step back and going, hang on, what is actually happening here, you know, and should I take this personally? I remember the example <laughs> yeah. of, um, and I, I still, I, I, I like using it myself now, not like, and I always see that I, it's not mine, but, the one where, um, who was it again, Frank, who said, um, you know, maybe their cat vomited on them in the morning and that's yeah. why they were re <laughs> reacting like that. That was you know, Caroline that, Webb, yeah. Yeah, exactly, it was, it was Caroline Webb, yeah. And that was such a, I think that was such a funny example where we always tend to think, right, this is either personal or they want to achieve something with this while we have no idea why things happen, you know? Like sometimes we just need to, to give the conversation a bit of the benefit of a doubt of the doubt i think as well and um accept that it's not efficient just yeah. accept it you know if you do that if you accept that there can be miscommunication and silences and 
you know, that it's a bit of a battle or real languaging, you know, language work, yeah. then I think your impression of meetings can be better afterwards anyway. You, know? you, you can be a lot more positive about what has happened then rather than going, oh, it was inefficient and, you know, we didn't come to uh, an agreement. Yeah. It served some purpose, apparently. We're through the first season. Which 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 topic have we missed in the podcast so far? If it's if it's up to you, what what oh. what issue would you love to dive into further now? That's a very good question. Um, yeah. So I don't like I don't know if I missed that because it kind of goes a bit. It's probably a bit more philosophical. But what I think is interesting is that we. Um, so I spoke about identity, right? Um, that we think that um, some aspects in how we present ourselves are apparently the good aspects. So for example, openness, it seems to be like a moral virtue. Communicating in itself also seems to be like a moral obligation. If you're not good at that, how valuable are you still in this society? So I'm kind of curious, but this maybe, maybe right. it's not like, Maybe I don't know if, if if you should make a podcast on it because it, it probably becomes more philosophical, I think. But so what kind of values do we unconsciously bring into our conversations and work? So what you know, if if and if we don't, for example, like openness uh, or being able to communicate, uh, like I just said, if we're not able, does that make us a worse employee? Does that make us a worse uh, no, collaborator? Yeah, and is that 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 must be based on, of course, on on wider societal norms and values, of course. Yeah. So I'm very curious to see what are the underlying norms and values that we kind of bring into um, our business reality, um, and that we take for granted, but then to kind of question if that's how we should. Um, if that's how much value we should attach to them, you know. And I know before yeah, we spoke about introverts yeah. and extroverts of course as well and and i think we came to the conclusion as well at some point um that maybe that guideline is not that uh that strict you know or i know we spoke about that even outside of the podcast yeah um but it this there's, there's definitely we 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 always have an opinion on on how things should be and i'm just curious what that is based on right so where does that come yeah. from right does That's food for thought, yeah. What, it what, is, yeah. <laughs> what, what kind yeah. of things do we do we consciously, but especially also unconsciously, take with us at the moment mm. we start a conversation? And and yeah, how how different could it go if we would have taken different assumptions or different values into it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And of course, we always see that in intercultural communication. That's where things clash, you know, because that's where those unconscious values and norms, of course, uh, you know, they they all of a sudden you see something Spot it's in the on. differences yeah, yeah exactly in the differences that you see your own values of course but um we always you know we always think it's like between two different nations or uh, it has to do with ethnicity but i actually think it has to do a lot with company culture which right you know yeah. you're all bringing everything of course you know and then we you know we're back at all those layers that we bring into a, into a conversation i suppose yeah 
three tips to bring more clarity into your conversations. At the end of each podcast, we went to three concrete tips. And of course, I'm going to ask you the question as well. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't ask you to prepare it, although maybe you did. <laughs> so it's coming. But otherwise, we derived them on the spot else. If, if you would have to come with three concrete tips to increase the clarity of conversations at work. Mm -hmm. Tip one. Yeah, so my first tip would be to practice meta-communication. And meta-communication means talk about talk. So if you say, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, um, no, that's not a good example. If you say, for example, um, so the, the, if you're going to present, you can talk about how long your presentation will take place, how long it will last for. So my presentation will be 15 minutes. Um, in those 15 minutes, I don't want you to ask questions or could you please keep your questions till the uh, till after the presentation. Right. So you talk about your talk then. Tip two. Was missing from the recording due to technical problems. <laughs> that can happen. So we immediately move on to... Tip three. And accept that conversations can be difficult. And accept that interaction and meetings are hard work. And that it's language work that you put in there and that silences and miscommunication are all part of the game. Um, they're not something we should always avoid. They're part of building your reality of sense-making and of creating the identity that you want to have together and um, in relationship to each other as well. So I would also say just accept miscommunication, difficulties, and a bit of friction as part of the reality of doing yeah, things with each definitely. other. Yeah, except that some meetings are difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was really nice else to talk to you in a, in a very different context this time and to have some more time to ask you questions rather than the other way around. It was my pleasure. <laughs> okay. <We> really <laughs> liked it. <laughs> Thanks a lot. And that was Els de Meijer talking about her research and her work with students at Fontes University of Applied Science. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Clarity in Conversations. The next time, it's time to reverse roles again and Els will have some questions for me. But that's next time in two weeks from now. Thanks for listening to Clarity in Conversations, a podcast by Frank Garten. Clarity in Conversations is a podcast by me, Frank Garten. To further professionalize the podcast, I'm looking for a company active in the consultancy business to sponsor the podcast when we start with season two in June 2020. If you have suggestions for this, or you are the sponsor that wants to attach your name to Clarity in Conversations, I'd like to speak to you. Leave me a note then at frank at clarityinconversations.nl or find my contact details on frankgarten.com.